Amen. If you got your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm, uh, number one I think I'm thankful for is that Dylan Bone is alive after being sick for the last two days. We're glad that he's actually here. Some of you have seen him, so we're glad he's here. And uh, the second thing I'm glad for is that I did not get sick by Dylan after being in a meeting with him on Monday, that he did not pass that stomach bug to me. How many of you guys have had the stomach bug? Yeah. It's not fun. It's not fun at all. So, but I'm glad that Dylan's here. I'm glad he's better. I'm glad him and Brendan are both doing better. So I'm, I'm stepping in last minute, but I'm also stepping in to a series that I know that he started last week about uh, kind of who God is and as it relates to an ever-changing culture uh, that uh, this is who God is. So tonight we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about God's existence and his knowability, meaning this, that he's made it possible for you to know who he is who he is. And here's what we know is this. Culture can't change the fact that God exists, even though they'll try to prove that he doesn't. And we also know this, that God can't, or that culture can't change, that God's made himself available to be known by you, by me, and by, by others. And so that's where we're going to talk about this evening. So if you got your Bibles, you're in Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at a lot of scripture tonight, but Romans chapter 1 is where the majority of the verses will come from, and so we'll look at some of that together. Let me read this to you today. It says, evidences of the existence of a creator still confound many scientists. Neurotheology is a new field of study that explores the biological basis for a person's spirituality. A recent article in Newsweek posed the question, does our brain wiring create the idea of God, or did God create our own brain wiring? Romans 1 20 would tell us, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. And so we're going to talk about God's existence and how he's made himself known uh, to us. There's two main points of tonight's message, and here's, here's, here is, here's the first one. Ready? If you're taking notes. I'm going to move fast. I've got a lot of information to cover. Some of it's really deep, and some of it you may not be able to grab a hold of. And guess what? I won't be in here for question and answer time, but Dylan can answer all those questions for you, okay? Here we go. Point number one, the existence of God. Humanity has an inner sense of who God is. So uh, we know deep within inside of every human being, there is a sense, okay, uh, of, who, of who God is and and. What do we know about him? And here's how we know this. All people have a deep inner sense that God exists, that he is their creator, and they are his creation. Let's look at Romans 1. And let's look at verses 19, 21, and 25, okay? And so if we're looking at Romans 1, and we, we look at verse 19 as it says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Skip, skip down to verse 21, and it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then look at verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So we know this, that people have a deep inner sense that God exists. Why do we know that? If we believe Scripture to be authority, then Scripture tells us, that even the Gentile unbelievers, in verse Romans one twenty one, that they knew God, but they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. 
Verse 25 tells us that wicked unbelievers traded the truth of God for a lie. Romans 1.19 tells us that what can be made known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Yet we also know that some people deny this inner sense of God and even deny that God exists themselves. In Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1, we know this, that it is the fool who believes there is no God. So even inside of us, those that have an inner sense, there are those who deny that it exists. It exi- that he exists, that he's real, right? And the scripture speaks of those that they are foolish when they believe that there is no God. Psalm 10, Psalm, Psalm 10, 3 and 4 tells us that the wicked person curses and renounces the Lord and, and then in their own pride repeats that there is no God. What we know from these passages is that sin leads people to think irrationally and deny God's existence. Paul himself realized this and realize this when he wrote Romans 1 as he talked about the progression of sin in the life of somebody. In Romans 1.18 it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So it is sin that causes people to suppress the inner, the inner belief and the inner knowledge that there is a God. So the sinfulness of man is what suppresses that. It tries to deny that, and that's why we see the things that we see in our culture today. In the life of a Christian, the inner awareness that God exists becomes stronger and more distinct. So what separates a Christian from, a not, from somebody who doesn't believe in God? Is this, that inner understanding that there is something greater than ourself, that there must be some sort of greater being than us, In the life of a believer, when they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that becomes stronger and more distinct. How do we know that? Romans 8, 15 says, we begin to know God as our Father in heaven. Romans 8, 16, I told you we're going to use a lot of scripture. Romans 8, 16 says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. This is how it becomes stronger and more intense, that when we place our faith and trust and we begin to know Jesus, and we begin to know Him more intimately, then we understand God's existence and our belief in God becomes stronger. And we see that as a progression throughout Scripture. Even 1 Peter 1.8 says that we love the Lord even though we have not seen Him. So understanding the existence of God, we have, there's this idea that humans have an inner sense of that God exists, okay? Deep within inside of us. Second part of this is that Scripture and nature give us, evidences, give us evidence of this. Evidence for God's existence found throughout the Bible. Genesis 1.1 tells us what? Somebody tell me. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, right? While we may not have evidence specifically as it relates to like God us seeing that with our own eyes, what we do know is this, is that we know that God acted in such a way to bring creation into existence. You are not in this room without the creation, without God at the very beginning creating the world. And so if we are convinced that the Bible is true, then we know from the Bible that not only God exists, but also we know about His nature and His acts. I preached a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning about Psalm 145, that one generation shall commend his works to another, right? Why do we do that? Because we see his acts 
And we know that it's happening, and so we declare those to other people so that they might believe in the existence of who God is. And the life, uh, and so then the second part of this is that the world gives abundant evidence of God's existence too. Romans 1.20, if you're in Romans 1 still, it says, For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What Paul's essence is saying is this, because of God's eternal nature and the works that have already been perceived, nobody has an excuse not to believe in God. He's clearly made it. And so in a culture that you all live in today that speaks to the fact that God may be made up in your mind, that he's not actually real and that he's not, he's, he doesn't actually exist. It's something that you created in your mind. This is what culture might tell you. There'll be other members of culture that tell you that there's multiple ways in which somebody can go to heaven when they die. There might be multiple things in culture that are portrayed to you that there are multiple religions that work. So all you have to do is just believe in one of those and sell yourself out to one of those faiths and it'll be fine. The culture is going to try to convince you that God is not who He says He is. But the Scripture clearly tells us that in the created being and in the created world, He's given enough evidence to show you that He is real for you to believe in. Nobody's without excuse. Okay? It says, whenever we meet another human being, we should realize that such an incredibly intricate, skillful, communicative, living creature can only have been created by an infinite, all-wise creator. Have you ever thought about a human being and the detail that goes into a human being? When you think about all the working parts that make up the human body and the unique characteristics and how nobody literally is the same, that speaks to this that there is, an, there is a God who is a unique and very skillful and crafted designer that's working in our midst. This is why the sanctity of human life is such a big deal to believers. In addition to man, nature also reveals that there is God. Look up in the sky and you see the sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, and all of these declare a powerful and wise creator who made them and sustains them. Rain and fruitful seasons, they only come from God. Every leaf, every blade of grass, every star in the sky, every single part of creation gives evidence to his existence. How about the beauty of snowflakes and thunderstorms, the abilities of humans? All of these point to an all-powerful, all-knowing, wise creator. When we believe that God exists, we are basing our belief not on some blind hope apart from any evidence, but we are basing it upon an overwhelming amount of reliability from God's words and his works. And then there's this traditional proofs of God's existence. And this is where it might get a little deep. I didn't even know what half of these words were until I became an adult. So I'm going to share them with you. You can write them down and maybe look them up later if you don't, if you need to do some more study on them. But these proofs are based upon facts about creation that are indeed true facts, meaning they are valid proofs. The universe does show evidence of purposeful design. God does exist as being greater than that which we can imagine, and God has given us a sense of right and wrong and a sense of ju- that judgment is one day coming. So here's they are, the cosmological argument. You ready? 
It considers the fact that every known thing in the universe has a cause. Therefore, it reasons the universe itself must also have a cause, and therefore, such a great universe can only, the creator of such a great universe can only be God himself. The teleological argument. It's really a subcategory of the cosmological argument. It focuses on the evidence of harmony and order and design in the universe and argues that its design gives evidence to an intelligent purpose. Since the universe appears to be designed with a purpose, there has to be an intelligent and purposeful God who created it to function this way. Three, the ontological argument. This begins with the idea of God who is defined as being greater than which nothing can be imagined. It then argues that the characteristics of existence must belong to such a being, since it is greater to exist than not to exist. That's a really deep one, okay? Ontological argument. And then here's the last one, the moral argument. Begins from man's sense of right and wrong and the need for justice to be done and argues that there must be a God who is the source of right and wrong and who will one day bring justice to all people. While these proofs can't bring someone to saving faith because we have to have Jesus, right? They do, they do help us have a solid, firm foundation that there is something greater than ourselves and He was purposeful and intelligent and He created all that there is and put it into existence. His existence means that you can believe in something greater than yourself and because by placing your belief and trust in that, you are given life and can live it to the fullest. Because only God can overcome sin and enable us to be persuaded by His existence. Listen, in a sinful world, listen very closely. Because some of you are taught, whether in school or by friends or people you meet on the internet, or the things that you read that are at your fingertips, in a sinful world, human wisdom will never be adequate enough to, to define or to disprove God. Here's what I mean by that. Human wisdom is inadequate for coming to know God. They, you on your own terms cannot know God. He has to reveal this to you. Those of you that try to disprove it, they're just proving the fact that their own wisdom, their own human wisdom, can't disprove that God exists. Because God reveals himself to you in creation and through the person of Jesus Christ. And by giving us Jesus so that you can place your faith and trust in Jesus and enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, by doing that and placing your faith and trust in Him, you are able to overcome the sinfulness that is in this world. You're able to be set free from it. And this is important. Here's point number two. Remember I told you the existence of God was point number one? Here's point number two. The knowability of God. The necessity for God to reveal Himself to us. In order us to know God at all, He has to reveal Himself to us. We looked in Romans 1 about how He's revealed Himself in, cre in creation. We can see that he's revealed himself. Some would call that general revelation, okay? That to all people, we can look around and be like, no human being created that mountain. Like that had to be created by something far greater than, any, than anything that I, I could ever dream up or imagine, right? General. We're going to talk specifically about 
special revelation here. Matthew eleven twenty seven tells us that no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And did I say that right? Yeah, you just track with me. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Himself to. Let me let me repeat that. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And what do we know about this? This kind of knowledge of God is not found in human effort or wisdom. You cannot come to a saving faith in God just because you've created a belief system in you that says, hey, I believe there's a God. The only way that you can truly know God is by Him specially revealing himself to you by confronting your sinfulness, you becoming aware of your sinfulness, and repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. You cannot do that on your own. It has to be revealed to you by this way. And here's, here's the greatest way I can explain that. I have two smaller children, Riker and Keegan, and we know this. Riker and Keegan, they have a general belief in God. Okay? We talk about it in our house. If you were to ask them, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? They would say yes. But God has, not, God has not specially revealed himself to them through the person of Jesus. Because here's how I know this. They've yet to recognize their own sinfulness and that they can't save themselves. For me, when I was a freshman in high school, I kind of came to the realization that like, I, I can do all the church things I want to. And I can do all the right things, read my Bible and say my memory verse and, you know, participate in whatever we did with children's ministry. And I could be at every youth service in, high, in middle school. And I did all these things, but none of those things could save me because they, those things, I could convince myself in my mind that those things were enough to save me. But the truth is, I was never saved until Jesus revealed my sinfulness and I realized I can't save myself. I need something greater than me, and that person is Jesus. And by him revealing himself to me, for me, I can remember the day, August 24th. On that day, I remember coming to a realization that I was a sinner separated from Jesus, and I needed Jesus in order to even have a relationship with God and be able to spend time with him. And so I say all this to you guys tonight is this, that God has made himself known to you, and he meets you where you are, and he reveals to you your sinfulness and your need for Jesus Christ, his son, who laid down his life for you so that you could have life and have it to the fullest. Listen, Romans 1 tells us repeatedly that that people exchange the truth of God for a lie. And And we read the rest of Romans 1, we see clearly that these people went way off the rails, okay? I mean, some of us could even express that the American culture is is identical to what we read in Romans 1. But let's also trade this. There are church people that have traded a truth for a lie, that if I do church things, that that's enough to save me. Listen, Jesus is the only thing that can save you. And so we've got to be careful not to exchange the truth of God for a lie. We need Scripture And if we were to interpret the natural revelation rightly, the Bible alone tells us how to understand the testimony about who God is and what He does. And it says, therefore, we can depend upon God's active communication to us in Scripture 
for our true knowledge of who God is. I'm also going to say this about God's knowability. You're never going to be able to fully know it. Your human brain, while it is awesome, it's a unique thing that he's created, it will never be able to comprehend everything about God. Because God is infinite and we are limited, we can never fully understand him. Psalm 145 tells us that his greatness is unsearchable. It is beyond searching out or discovering. So when somebody comes to you and they tell you, hey, I can prove to you that God doesn't exist, I will, as a believer, because of what I hold true from Scripture, I would tell them that his greatness is unsearchable and there's not, there's, you haven't found the answer to why he doesn't exist. Because our human brains can't prove that he doesn't exist. He's far greater than that. Psalm 147 tells us that God's understanding is beyond measure. We will never be able to measure or fully know God's understanding. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, tells us that no one comprehends the things of God except the Spirit of God. It is not that we cannot ever fully understand God. It is not, it is not only that we can never fully understand God. It is also true that we can never fully understand any single thing about God. This includes his greatness, his understanding, his knowledge, his riches, his wisdom, his judgment, and his ways. Some would read that and say, then why believe in God if you can't ever fully understand him? I would say this, it's motivation to continue to press into who God is and to believe in God and to trust in God because you're going to keep learning new things. Listen, some of you are in the sixth grade and you're listening to me talk right now and you're like, dude, I could care less about what he's talking about. I don't even understand. But one day you're going to be sitting here as a senior and God's going to reveal something to you that you heard as a sixth grader, but it becomes, it becomes real to you as a senior. And see, that's why his greatness is unsearchable. That's why we can't fully grasp it is because our brains can't handle it. He's so much bigger than that. And for me, it's motivation. I want to spend more time with him, getting to know him, and resting in the fact. Because listen, there's plenty of people telling me he doesn't exist and he's not real. But everything I read in Scripture says there's so much more to be learned about him. And as a believer, I want to do that. It says, we may know something about God's love, power, wisdom, and so forth, but we'll never know these things completely. Listen, you will never run out of things to learn about God. If somebody tells you, I've learned about everything I know about Christianity, they're a liar. You will never run out of things to learn about God. We will never tire as believers delighting in the discovery of more and more of His excellence and of His greatness and of His works. Even when we are free from the presence of sin, meaning when we're in heaven with Him, we will never be able to fully understand God or, or any one thing about Him because His, va- His greatness will be so great. Because he He's far above our, our comprehension. Yet He's made it possible for us to know things about Him here that should drive us to want to know more about Him. It says we must delight in the fact that God is God alone. He is always greater than we are and we... And Greater than we are and greater than his creation. And therefore, we owe him worship and adoration. Listen, the prospect of a lifelong habit of regular Bible study or the study of theology and what we believe, this should be exciting to us. To study and teach God's word in both form and informal and informal ways 
will always be a great privilege and joy because we are able to learn something new about God each time we engage in it. So while we may not be able to fully grasp Him, we know that He makes Himself known to us, yet we can truly know Him, and here's how we do this. We can know true things about God. If I was to ask you really quickly, popcorn it out. If I was to say God is, you finish the statement. What do you know about God? God is great, holy, omnipotent, good, great, whatever, yeah, love, kind, just, right? Listen, to say these things doesn't require us to know everything about God. But in our knowledge of God, we have true knowledge of God from Scripture, even though it may not be exhaustive. We don't just know facts about God, we know God Himself. How do you know that? To say you know someone would to imply that you met them and talked with them, and that you've developed some sort of personal relationship with them. I'm almost done. Now, some people say that we cannot know God Himself, but Scripture doesn't speak that way. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glorifies glory in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Here God says that he is the source of our joy, and that our sense of importance should come from the fact that we know Him. The fact that we do know God Himself is further demonstrated by the realization of the richness of the Christian faith, which includes a personal relationship with God. Listen to these things, and I'll be done. We know God Himself in this way. We speak to Him in prayer. I'm assuming that some of you came into this place, and you at some point today had a conversation with God in prayer. We know Him in this way that He speaks to us through His Word. Why do we, as a church, push reading our Bible in personal times? Because this is how the living God speaks to you. He's revealed Himself to you in Scripture, and if you know Him, then why would you not spend time with Him? If His greatness is unsearchable, why would you not keep reading His Word so that you can know more about Him? We commune with Him in His presence. When we gather to put gathers in places like this to worship, we sing His praise. We are aware that He personally dwells among us and within us, and that He does bless us and that He does keep us. This personal relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit may be said to be the greatest of all blessings of the Christian life. Did you hear that? There is a God who exists, and there's a God who's made Himself known to you. And when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because He reveals Himself to you and you recognize your sin and, and you know that you need to trust in Jesus because you can't save yourself, this is what happens to you. The personal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit is said to be the greatest of all blessings of the Christian life. Here's what I know is this. There may be somebody out there because of some circumstance in their life that wants to prove to me, that God doesn't exist. But here's what I do know. Because of what happened to me on August 24th, 1998, there will be no individual 
whoever be to stand in front of me to tell me that God doesn't exist. You know why? Because I've experienced the personal blessing of Jesus Christ being my Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. And that one day, because of that relationship, I will be reunited with God the Father in heaven. And the same is true for you. The culture is going to proclaim to you, the older you get, the more knowledgeable you get, that God doesn't exist, that you really can't know Him. And I will tell you this, if we hold this to be truth, God's holy word, everything about this tells us that there is a God who exists, and there's evidence, there's evidence that proves it. And that there's a God who makes himself known to you in a very personal way through the person of Jesus Christ. And that there is no person in this room or in this world that is without excuse. So let's pray. Let's pray now. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, we're going to do what they do every week. We're going to sing and worship. And I'm going to challenge you to do it a little differently tonight. One, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and no one looking, you might be in this room and you might say, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know for a fact that I, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and you might want to place your faith and trust in Jesus. Then when we stand in just a minute and we start singing, just walk to the back, stand on that back row, and then there will be an adult leader that will see you and just tell them, I need to give my life to Jesus. Listen, if God himself, the God of the universe, the only God, is revealing to you tonight that you do not have a personal relationship with him, do not delay in trusting him. It will be the best decision of your life. But for the rest of you that have a personal belief in Jesus, I'm going to ask you to think about worship differently. I'm going to ask you to think about when I stand and sing in just a moment, I'm going to worship a God who is alive, a God who exists, and a God who's made himself known to me. Those things alone should drive us in our worship of him. Who cares who's standing next to you? Who cares what the music sounds like on the stage? Who cares if the lights are dark enough or, not, or, or too bright? All that matters in this moment is your worship of Jesus Christ. He exists, He is alive, and He's made Himself known to you. Those things enough are for us to stand and worship Him. Jesus, I pray that You'd be glorified in our worship. I pray for any teenager in this room who may have a knowledge of you and a general understanding of who you are, but God, tonight you've made it clear to them they don't have a personal relationship with you. And Father, I pray if they need to trust you as their Lord and Savior, that you will move them out of their seat to the back as fast as possible so that they'll surrender their life to you. And God, for the rest of us, be glorified in our response to your word this evening. We pray this in your name. Amen.